This week's reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. You can find it on page 835 in those Blue Pew Bibles, um, or you can just listen and turn there in a moment. Matthew 8, uh, excuse me, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God. Have a seat. And let's pray together before we come to this passage. Um, oh, before I start, I neglected, when I was up here earlier, I neglected to say a word of thanks uh, to all of you uh, who volunteered at VBS this past week, um, to Mari in particular for the hard work she's done over past months um, to pull that off. It was a wonderful time. Um, and uh, as we pray together, I want to start by giving thanks to God for what he did uh, here in this past week. So let's pray. Father in heaven, um, indeed I am thankful, we are thankful for the ways that you have um, gifted us, um, for the, 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 the children that are in our midst, the children at, uh, at City Life, um, the friends uh, who came this past week uh, and heard of you. Uh, thank you for um, enabling us to um, draw these, these, these kids together uh, for this past week of, of Vacation Bible School. We're thankful for City Life. We're thankful for the opportunity to partner uh, with them uh, and to enjoy some of our life together uh, as two churches here in, in the same presbytery and in, in the same part of Boston. Um, Father, I, I am thankful for, uh, for Mari and her work and, and for uh, the work of all of the, the many volunteers at this church and at City Life um, who came together um, to pull this off. Um, Father, it, it's a beautiful picture of how you have given us to each other, um, the way that you have blessed uh, this church with children and then given us commands um, to raise them to know you. Uh, throughout your scriptures, you, you constantly remind us that we need to tell the next generation what we know of you, that we need to remind them of who you are, that we need to have your uh, amazing works uh, on our lips at all the time in order that they would set their hope on you. So I thank you that you have given this church children, and I thank you that you have also given to this church um, mothers and fathers, um, both within um, biological families and and also those who uh, serve as spiritual mothers and fathers, uh, raising these children. Um, Father, it's a high calling. Um, every time we baptize a child, we take vows together. And um, I am always stopped by the weight of those, of those vows, not only the vows that the parents take, but the vows that we take as a congregation um, to assist the parents and to be alongside of them and to raise children uh, to know you. Um, and certainly, Father, we, we are dependent on you uh, for our children and, and for their 
their knowledge of you. There's nothing that we do um, that, can, um, that can turn their hearts uh, towards you. We can only be faithful uh, to tell the story, uh, to tell them who you are, to tell them how faithful you've been to us. Um, but then you, Holy Spirit, um, have to be at work at, in, in their hearts as you have been in ours. Um, and so, with all of this in mind, we, we thank you for what happened last week, and we, and we pray um, that seeds planted in the past week would bear fruit uh, in the faith of, of these children. Father in heaven, um, we um, are before you uh, now, uh, sitting under your word, um, and, and we're still dependent on your promises. We're still dependent on the fact that you have promised that your word does not go out from you without accomplishing its purposes. And so, Holy Spirit, as you have promised to be in our midst, we ask that you would work in our hearts, that you would soften them, that you would convict us of sin, uh, that you would assure us yet again of your forgiveness, that you would draw us to you, that you would open our eyes to see you as being worthy um, of worship. Holy Spirit, I pray that as you have inspired these words, you would now illuminate our hearts uh, to hear them uh, and to understand what you would say to us. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we're turning the corner um, in our series. There we go. Um, we, for the last, uh, for the summer months, have been looking at this theme um, of being a blessing to the nations, of being a people um, who, having been called by God, having been saved by God, um, are not saved for our own sake only are not blessed for our own sake only. Those, those words that, um, that God says in the book of Isaiah um, come to mind to me often when he says, it's, it's, it's too small a thing that I would only call Israel to myself. That's too small. Um, I have other nations. I have other children. Um, reminds me of Jesus uh, calling himself the great shepherd and immediately saying, and I have others. There are others in my flock who aren't here now. Um, this, this theme... Um, that when God calls a people, when he saves a people, he does it in order to bless others, uh, to be a blessing to the nations, to all families. We've been tracing this all the way through scripture. Um, when, you, when you, at the beginning of this series, if you thought, I wonder which texts we're going to look at, um, probably you would have thought of this text. The end of Matthew, the last words in his gospel, um, famous passage known as the Great Commission, when Jesus sends his disciples out uh, to go to make disciples, to baptize, to teach. Um, and in some ways, we've, we've taken this long to get here um, because we want to have a really full sense of the context. We really want to understand that when Jesus sends his disciples out uh, to the nations, this is not some brand new thing um, that, that God is doing, but this has been the plan from the very beginning. Um, so we've spent a couple months getting here, we spent a couple months in the Old Testament um, in order to see um, that what Jesus is doing here is consistent with what God has been doing all along. Um, I'm actually giving away my final point in this sermon already, because um, that, that, is, that is one of the points even here in this text. 
um, as, we, as we take a look at it. Um, here's what I want to do. It's a well-known passage. Um, and to help us understand it better, I want to take kind of three different lenses in examining it. I first want to look um, just very closely at, at this text in particular, you know, the, the narrow lens. Um, I want to look at what it is that Jesus says um, and understand what it is that he is sending his disciples, his church, his people um, out to do. Um, then I want to zoom out a bit. Um, and I want to zoom out in order to ask the question, you know, having looked at what Jesus says, I want to say, okay, but who is he? Who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus who is saying these words? So we'll zoom out a little bit um, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew um, to get a sense of who he is. And then the last question I want to ask is, who is God? Uh, who is this God who has sent his son uh, into the world? Um, and in order to ask that question, we'll zoom all the way out, and we'll look at the Gospel of Matthew as a whole. Uh, we're not going to read the whole thing, don't worry. Uh, but we're going to zoom all the way out and look at the beginning and the end of Matthew um, in order to ask the question uh, of, of who is God. Um, so those are the three things I want to look at. Um, what is Jesus sending us to do in these verses? Who is he who's speaking these words? And then who is God? Uh, who, who, who sent him. Um, so we take a look, first of all. Um, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, if you keep in count... Um, there's four verbs that he uses in that sentence. He says, uh, go, he says, baptize, he says, um, uh, make disciples, uh, and he says, teach. Um, now, what's interesting is that if you look at the, like, the actual grammar here, of those four verbs, the only one that's an actual imperative, an actual command, um, is make disciples. So that's kind of the main verb. Um, in this, um, in, in this, in this uh, command, this, this great commission. Um, going, teaching, and baptizing um, are all actually in that form, um, what we call participles. So, so a literal translation of this would be make disciples, going, baptizing, and teaching. Um, in other words, baptizing and teaching are sort of aspects of what it means to make disciples. And going um, is, going out is the precondition um, that this God who calls us to be a blessing to the nations, the, the precondition for us making disciples is that we have to go. We have to go out. We are sent out in order to do that. Um, so let's look briefly at, at each of these things. Um, although I'm going to skip over, I'm not going to talk much about baptizing um, uh, here. But Making disciples. Making disciples is the main thing, as I said. Um, the fact that Jesus' primary command is to make disciples is a good reminder to us um, that our goal um, in evangelism, our goal in proclaiming God's word um, and in sharing the hope that we have uh, with our friends and neighbors is not simply to make converts. Um, it's not simply to get people to checking the box. Um, put my faith in Christ. 
accept Jesus as, as my Lord. Um, that's, that's the entry point. Um, and it's true for any of us as well. Uh, any of us who have put our faith in Christ, that is, that is the entry point into a life of discipleship. Um, what's discipleship? Well, um, the, the word literally means to be a student. Um, but I want us to be careful here, because in the ancient world, to be someone's disciple, um, it, it, it was not to be a student in, in the sense of just reading what they had, uh, reading what they had written, just listening to their words. Um, you know, if we're hoping that discipleship can be a matter of downloading the podcast uh, or the online course and just getting the information, it's much more than that. Um, think about how these guys, the people he's talking to now, think about what their life as disciples was like. Three years they spent living with Jesus, doing everything with him. Um, waking up with him in the morning, going to bed at night, eating their meals together, working together, laughing together. Um, this was a life uh, in which they watched everything that Jesus did. Um, Eugene Peterson, in his uh, paraphrase of the New Testament called The Message, um, I love what he does with the end of Matthew 11. The end of Matthew 11 is where Jesus says, Come to me, those who are weary, and I will give you rest. And Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase of that includes this wonderful phrase. Um, he says, Learn the rhythms of grace from me. Watch how I do it. Um, it's a paraphrase. That's not literally what, what the words say in Matthew. But, but I think he captures the essence of what Jesus is inviting us to. Watch how he does it. Um, learn from the way that he lives. Um, this requires us to spend time with him. It requires us to spend time in his word. Uh, it requires us to spend time in prayer. It requires us to do these things together, to do them in community. Um, you probably know, you know the, the, the number of commands in the New Testament that involve the words one another, they number in somewhere around five dozen. Um, somewhere around five dozen times in the New Testament there are commands to love one another, to forgive one another, to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another, exhort one another. Um, what all of these tell us is that to be Jesus' disciple is not a solitary pursuit. It is, it is not something that you and I can do by ourselves. Um, we need each other. We need to spend time with Jesus. We need to spend time in his word. We need to spend time with his people uh, doing these things together. The, the goal is nothing short of what Paul calls for in Romans 12, that we would be transformed. Uh, not conformed to the pattern of the world around us, but transformed. Um, by the renewing of our minds, by the offering up of our hearts. Um, for Paul, this is... This is a holistic transformation. It involves the whole self, not just what we believe, um, but what we love, uh, what we do, the stories that we, that we tell each other. Um, that's, that's what it means to, to be disciples. That's what Jesus is calling uh, us, us to do, not only to be his disciples, but then to be disciples who make disciples, people who live alongside of Jesus, who then call others to come alongside of us in order to do the same thing. Um, that's the main thing that he is telling his disciples to do, is to go out and, and to make disciples. Um, 
as I say, uh, going, when he tells them to go, um, that you should think of as being the precondition. You can't make disciples without going out. Um, we are sent. Um, this, of course, has been a key impetus for international missions, for going into literally all the nations of the world. Um, but for most of us, um, while we have opportunities to support and to pray for international uh, missionaries, um, most of us can also be thinking about how is it that we are sent out um, into Newton, uh, into Wellesley, into Waltham, into all of the different towns uh, that we live around here, into the workplaces, into the schools, uh, into our neighborhoods. Um, we are a people blessed by God in order to be a blessing to the nations, uh, to those who don't know him yet. Um, one of the things that we believe um, is that God has put us here for a reason. Um, and that that reason is not simply that we would um, gather together and play defense in a, in a harsh and hostile world, um, but that we are here uh, in order to love the city that we've been sent to, the city, the cities, the world um, that we've been sent to. Um, this is a hard thing. Uh, I know one, one pastor in the PCA who's been involved with church planting for 50 or 60 years. He's, he's in his 90s. And I was with him one time, and he said, you know, I, I really think New England um, is about the hardest place um, to, to plant churches, the, 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 the hardest place um, to do evangelism. Um, it's not an easy thing um, that God has called us to. Um, I want to kind of hang us there on that tension for a minute, because as we come to the end of this passage, I want to see how it's Jesus' promises um, that draw us into that hard mission that we've, that we've been called to. The last thing that I want to look at here that Jesus tells us to do is to teach. He says, teach them all that I have commanded you. And that might be kind of surprising. I mean, think about the context here. Jesus, this is after the resurrection, right? Um, Jesus is appearing to his disciples alive uh, after he's, he's been raised from the dead. And yet, what he doesn't say, he doesn't say, go out and tell them about the resurrection. Um, the sense that you get is that the resurrection, the fact that he's been raised from the dead, um, this is part of what gives him the authority uh, to say what he's saying. But it's, it's really fascinating, it's really interesting that what he wants them to do is to teach all that he commanded them. That as he went through his life, um, and affirmed God's law. He said, I, I am not here to erase the law. I'm here to fulfill it. Um, he's still calling us to pay attention to that uh, and, and to teach it. And I think this is important to us because we have a tendency, a real temptation, to separate God's character from his law. Um, in other words, to say, I, I know that God is a loving God. He is a merciful God. But on the other hand, there's all this stuff that he tells me to do. Um, that I don't really like, that, that feels like a constraint, feels like it's constricting my freedoms. Um, and we tend to set those at odds with each other. Um, the reminder here, as Jesus tells us to go out and to teach uh, others to observe all that he has commanded you, is that 
the law of God and the character of God are not at odds with each other. That the things that he tells us to do, the things that are in his law, um, are for our good. Um, they describe what a good life looks like. Um, they describe what a life that's pleasing to him um, looks like. Um, we know that we can't be saved by the law. Um, Paul's emphatic about that. But Paul is also emphatic that the law is a good thing. Um, that the law uh, is a good teacher. Uh, that the law instructs us uh, in the ways that we should go. And here we have it uh, from Jesus as well. So, that's the narrow lens. You know, that's, that's a bit of an explanation of, of what this great commission is all about, what it is that we're being sent out uh, to do, um, to go uh, to make disciples, teaching and baptizing. The next thing I want to look at, though, is who is this Jesus? Who is the one speaking to us here? And in order to do that, I want to, like I said, zoom out a bit, okay? So... It says here, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, if you know a little bit of the geography of, of Israel, and if, if, if you had been reading uh, Matthew from beginning to end, um, you might notice that most of the action in the early chapters, the early parts of Jesus' ministry, takes place up in the north, up around Galilee. But then, um, everything moves southward. Um, at the end... Um, although it takes up a good third of the gospel, Jesus sets his face like a flint towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. And they go from Galilee down to the south uh, to Jerusalem where he's betrayed, where he's crucified, uh, where he's raised. And now, at the very end of the gospel, they're back up north again. They're back up on a mountain in Galilee. And it's really interesting if you ask, when's the last time they were there? What you find is two mountaintop scenes that bookend that whole, uh, that passion, the death and the resurrection of Christ. Um, the last time that they were on a mountaintop in Galilee was back in chapter 17. Let me just describe what happens here. Um, so in Matthew 16, Peter is the first one to correctly identify Jesus as the Messiah. Right? He says, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, you're right. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. He gives the disciples authority. He promises that he's going to build his church. Um, that passage in Matthew 16, if, if this here in, in Matthew 28 is the great commission, uh, Matthew 16 sometimes is called the great constitution. It's where Jesus constitutes his church. But what's interesting um, is that even though as part of that he says the gates of hell are not going to prevail against my church, he does not immediately tell them, okay, so now we're going to go conquer the world, right? Instead, he says, now we're going to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed and will be put to death. And the disciples do not get this, right? They rebuke him to his face. They think this is just scandalous. Um, in chapter 17 is when they go to the mountain. So right after this, he takes just three disciples, James, John, and Peter, and they go up on the mountaintop. Um, and there he's transfigured before their eyes. Um, it, it's the one time in the gospel where he visibly appears um, in, in all of his glory. His face sh shines like the sun. His clothes are glowing. Moses and Elijah show up there. Um, it's, this, it's this amazing scene 
um, the voice of God announces from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Um, again, though, he does not say, now it's time to go conquer the world. Um, Peter actually has a different idea. Peter says, you know, this is pretty great right here. Maybe we could just stay. We could just stay on the mountain. You, Moses, Elijah, we could worship you. This is awesome. Um, but again, Jesus says, no, what's going to happen is we're going to Jerusalem. I'll be betrayed. I'll be put to death. I'll rise again in three days. And again, they don't get it. It says that they are greatly distressed. Now, if we compare these two mountaintop scenes, what do we learn about Jesus? What are, what are, they, what are they telling us? What they're both telling us is that Jesus is one with authority, that he is one with divine authority. So in, in, the, the, in the first scene, the voice of God from heaven says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. He speaks for me. He has my authority. Um, in the second scene, Jesus is able to say for himself, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What's happened in between is not so much that Jesus' authority has increased. He is who he is. Um, but now, because now he's done what he came to do, because now he has been betrayed, put to death, and raised, now his authority has been vindicated. There is no doubt about who he is. There is no doubt that he has, in fact, been sent of God, that he is the Son of God. Um, that he is God himself, that he has all authority um, in heaven and on earth. And now, in chapter 28, now the time for silence is over. Now, now he's not saying, don't tell anyone who I am. Now he's saying, go. Now is the time to go out into the world and make disciples and to teach them uh, to obey everything that I commanded you. So what we see in these two, um, in these two passages um, is that Jesus is one with authority. Um, there's one verse here that I really want to call out as being very significant um, for us in particular. It says here, uh, verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. You know, before I said that when Jesus uh, said, we're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be betrayed and put to death. They didn't get it. And what's interesting is that even now, even now after the resurrection, some of them still don't get it. Um, and I think it's significant. It does not say, it does not say that when they saw him, some worshipped and some doubted, right? Some of them worshipped, but some doubted instead. What it says is they worshipped him. And some of those who were worshipping him also doubted. You see what that means? This is really important. This means that doubt and worship are not mutually exclusive. It means that if you have questions, uh, if you are wrestling with doubts, if you are wrestling with skepticism, if there are things that you don't understand, if you hear God is a good and loving God and yet, look what's happening in my life. Look at the losses that I'm suffering. Look at what's happening to my loved ones. God feels absent. 
if you are wrestling with doubts, um, you're in good company. You're right alongside some of the disciples. Um, and it does not mean that you can't worship. Um, when I looked at commentaries about this verse, um, there's not really a consensus on how to understand exactly what it means that, that they worshiped, but some doubted. Um, what I can tell you, though, and I think this is important, is that the other place in the New Testament where this word doubted, that this word for doubt shows up, is in the story of Peter um, when Jesus walks on the water and, and he calls Peter out to him. And, and Peter starts walking on the water out to, out to Jesus and it says he saw the, the waves and the, and the rain and the wind and he doubted, right? And he starts to sink. That's the other place where this word shows up, that Peter doubts. And what's important about that is notice that the fact that Peter has doubts and the fact that he's even sinking beneath the water does not put him out of the reach of his Savior. Um, it does not mean that Jesus can't pull him up. And it doesn't change who Peter is. It doesn't change what Peter is called to do. And in some ways, these, this, this, this experience of, of having those doubts and yet being saved um, starts to build Peter into the man that he will become uh, later, later in his life. Um, worship and doubt are not mutual, mutually exclusive. And in fact, in some ways, it's a really crucial moment in your life and in your faith when you can say, I do not have all the answers. There are things that I do not get, but I will trust you, Jesus. I will trust that you are good. I will trust that you know what you're doing, even though I can't see it all. It is, it is a good thing to be able to hold those doubts up to him and say, you are a big enough God to handle this, because he is. He is that kind of God. The last thing that I want to look at from this passage, of course, is, is again, who, who is this God? Um, who is this God that has sent Jesus uh, into the world? Um, for this, again, I want to zoom out all the way uh, and take the, 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 the widest lens on the Gospel of Matthew. Um, Matthew, who ends his gospel with this great commission, begins um, with this verse. He starts with a genealogy, right? He starts with a list of all of Jesus' ancestors. But the first verse, the way he opens that, is he says, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew's gospel is distinctive for its Jewishness. Um, it is clearly written to an audience that knows the Old Testament. Matthew is quoting the Old Testament all over the place. Um, and so for him to begin his gospel in this way, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's explicitly saying everything that God promised to do in Abraham is now reaching its fulfillment here. Um, everything that God, that God did uh, in Moses and in the prophets and in King David, um, God is now fulfilling here. Um, and for us, for what we've been looking at um, this, this summer, as we look at being called to be a blessing to the nations, 
um, it's a good reminder um, that God began that story, that God began the story of Abram by calling him with the text we looked at at the beginning of this series when he said, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What Matthew is saying then is that as he concludes his gospel, he's not telling a story of something that's beginning out of nowhere um, as, as plan B. Um, what he's telling is the story of how those promises to Abram, um, those promises that through Abram all nations of the earth would be blessed, and, and the promises that we've been see, seeing uh, repeated and, and played out and embodied throughout the Old Testament now, again, are being fulfilled uh, and being completed here as Jesus sends his disciples out um, to make disciples of all nations. Um, the last thing I want to say about this is again to acknowledge um, how hard of a mission this is. Um, in the fall, when we start Adult Ed up again, um, Bradley and I are going to co-teach a class about evangelism. Um, and, and we know that this is a hard topic. We know that this is not an easy thing to do. Um, in New England of all places, but, but, but really anywhere. Um, it can be a hard thing to know, how do I share my faith? How, how, how do I tell people about the hope um, that, that I have? How, how are we called to proclaim the good news uh, into the world? Um, for now, I want us to be encouraged simply uh, with what Jesus says here. Um, he says, all authority in, in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's the first thing. Um, this is King Jesus we're talking about. There is nothing that happens that he doesn't want to happen. There, there, is, there is no one um, that he is unable to call to himself. There's no one that he's unable to save. Um, and it's good for us to be reminded um, that as much as we love um, our friends, our family, our loved ones, um, our workplaces, our schools, all these places where we, where we want to see the gospel proclaimed, and not just proclaimed, but, but actually coming to life and actually causing people to thrive where right now there's, um, there's suffering and there's, and there's, and there's confusion. Um, it's good to be reminded that as much as we love all of those places, Jesus loves them more. Um, Jesus loves our family and our friends more than we do. He loves our schools and our workplaces and our city more than we do. Um, and he is speaking with all authority in heaven and on earth. And the last thing that I want us to remember is this promise that he concludes this great commission with. He says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The same God, who is Emmanuel, who is known as God with us, promises that he will be God with us forever, always, to the end of the age. And what that means is that as we are sent out, uh, we are not sent out alone. 
Um, we are not sent out on some mission to go and do what we can and then come back and report. Um, Jesus goes with us. Um, these are his words. This is, this is his promise uh, to be with us always to the very end of the age. Um, like any mission, um, we need nourishment. We need strength uh, in order to carry it out. Um, and that's what this table is about. Uh, this is the place where God feeds our faith. Um, this place where he, he takes his word um, and, and applies it um, through a visible sign and seal, this meal, uh, to show us grace. So before we come to this table, let's pray together.